for Love Radio. This is your host and love coach, Nikki Lee. Today, we are going to have one of those interesting, sexy, juicy topics. And for that, I brought back somebody who was here recently, but we postponed our original idea for a topic so that she could come in and talk about flirting and body language because we just we wanted to talk about that first and I, I was joking around with Ray our our program director and told him that was a warm-up and he says oh my goodness that was a warm-up so you <laughs> I, it was it was funny so so this is the hot topic and I think hot topic is appropriate what do you think Sarah I fully agree Nikki this is certainly a hot topic <laughs> that just that just felt right so this this is the one that we initially were discussing and talking about but like I said flirting and body language is just so interesting that we had to talk about that first but this this is the original topic we were going to talk about so people that listen regularly may remember that about a month or so ago, month, month and a half, I had Sarah Martin, a dating coach, on. And she's also, you may remember this, because this, this kind of jumped out at me at first. She's also the creator of the Dignified Hedonist. That, that just kind of sticks in your mind for some reason. I don't know why, but it just does. Mm. So she she works with and helps High desire people create relationships of their dreams. Now, you know, that kind of sticks in your mind, too. And that is the part of her work we're going to talk about today. And they can actually go from having a connected and caring one-night stand to a lifelong marriage or relationship. Now, you may be saying... High desire. Hmm. Now we're gonna we're gonna define what that is and we are gonna kinda dig deep and we're gonna we're gonna analyze that. Now Sarah's done all kinds of interesting things. She's the author of hundreds of articles and, and I, I have to mention she has <laughs> <laughs> this is too fun. She has a book called Orgasmic Running. She's the co-host of Get Sex Smart podcast, the Sexual Craftsmanship podcast. She has a new show that launched in July. What's the name of that? I, I just forgot to answer that. So that that's also gotten pushed back a little bit. Hi, everybody. This is Sarah here. And the new podcast, I have been tinkering with it for ages. And you know what, Nikki? I'm trying to land on the name. That is part of where wow. I'm stuck. Maybe you can help me because I'll tell okay. you, I've got a couple ideas. 
And one of them was Dignified Hedonist, because that's okay. the name of my framework. And it's the name mm-hmm. of the uh, my website. And it's, it's the whole ethos of what I do when I'm working with high desire people. And at the same time, I'm like, uh, you know, is that catchy enough for a podcast name? So the other one I was thinking of was DTF. Um, but then I could call it dating to find as in dating to find various things that you want or that you're looking for. But then you've got the double entendre, right, of DTF and what that means in common parlance, which actually fits quite well for some high desire people. Right, right. And the third one I'd been thinking about was uh, the high libido survival guide. Ooh, I like that. That to be like quite you know, clear about who the podcast is for and what you're going to learn when you listen. Right. So what's your opinion? I'd love to know what you think. I kind of like the survival guide. Yeah? Because you are, you are zeroing, zeroing in on your audience. And I think when, when people understand your definition of hedonist, you would have a broader audience. Hmm. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Those two are yeah. my favorite. I like I like your your dating to find because that leaves you wide open, but I'm not sure people are going to get it. Yeah, I don't know. I I got to think about that. <laughs> you see, I, I, so that's what yeah, kind of delayed no. the release because I've got no. the first couple of episodes ready to go and a new intro ready to go and it's just like what do i call it so yeah it's in any case i I get it boy do i get it you know naming a book naming a show whatever because once once you name it you need to stick with it but it's it's hard well and and i mean i even even after eight years i still explain the the reasoning behind ready for love and i'm to this day i wouldn't change it because I think it's perfect for what I do, mm-hmm. but I I know plenty of re- people don't get my reasoning behind it, but I I still think it's perfect for what I do. But yeah, it's um wow, it it's hard to come up with a name. It is. Well, in any case, for your listeners, keep an eye out. I will have this decided relatively soon, and. Nikki, if it's okay, if I send you across an email and then you can link to to the show, whatever it winds up being called. How about that? Whatever you decide to call it. (laughs) (laughs) I understand. I do. (laughs) Fantastic. Thank you so much kindly for understanding and for bearing with us over this bit of a detail. Speaking of naming things, let's start by telling people what is a high desire person. Let's let's start there so that we can we can start the show off with people understanding what the heck we're going to talk about. Yes. So, a high desire person as I see it in my work is somebody who self-identifies as high desire and in this case it can mean high desire for sensual or sexual pleasure is what I would point towards because I think having a focus solely on just uh, sexual and erotic energy can miss out some people who are very highly sensual as well. 
So my definition seeks to encompass all of them. And sometimes Mm -hmm. I'll interchangeably use the term high libido. And I think that points towards folks who have a really uh, noticeable set of somatic sensations that point towards desire for sex and sensuality uh, versus, you know, high desire, which is oftentimes very much like a mental yearning or desire, if that makes sense. Okay. Follow-up question. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think people will understand high, like, sex drive and, and wanting lots of sex. What is high sensual desire? High sensual desire is really exciting and doesn't get enough press, I would say. So, I don't think so either. That's, that's why I'm asking. Sensuality is taking pleasure in the senses. So luxuriating in things that you see, hear, smell, taste, and touch for no reason other than the pleasure of these experiences. So a highly desirous of sensuality person, right? A person who's very highly desirous of sensual input could be somebody who wants to often like receive massages or cuddle for hours or play around with different sensations with a partner or even with themselves. And for many people discovering that, wow, actually I've got this high desire for sensuality as well as a high desire for sexuality can be really amazing and kind of a liberating experience because it opens an additional pathway to pleasure. And I'm all about multiple pathways to pleasure. Exactly. Well, and, and you know, I, I think it's, it's fun to watch when somebody realizes they can enjoy more than just sex. You know, when they, when they realize they can enjoy being with their partner and like like when they, they find a new touch they enjoy mm-hmm. and their face just lights up and they're like, oh my goodness, that was amazing, you know? And, and they realize they didn't have intercourse, but they were really, really, really turned on by something. You know, it's like, yeah, <laughs> you know? <laughs> or, or they just, they, they just, cuddled with their partner for like a half an hour and it's like that was amazing that was awesome I really really enjoyed that it's like uh-huh <laughs> you know? and it's it's like it, it doesn't have to be sex or it doesn't have to be intercourse of some kind to be awesome time spent together you know it's not that it that's not all it's about there are so many other things that you can do together that can be amazing and there there's just a whole world to be found out there there just is you know but yes yeah, sensuality doesn't get the press and doesn't get the exposure and credit i think it deserves it just doesn't yes and i would say not to to leave out my highly desirous of sexuality and sexual play people, but it's also okay to just want 
sex and to be really desirous of sex because that can absolutely be a pathway to pleasure as well. So that's why I like to talk about both. Yes. Yeah. Like I said, I just, I, I agree. I just think that both should at least be considered, you know. Mm-hmm. Why did you decide to work with high desire people? For a number of reasons, really. I decided to work with high desire people in part because I am one. So I've got that, that very embodied understanding of what it's like to be a high desire person in a sex negative world and the kind of struggles that folks go through on the journey to their sexual self-realization or not. I mean, let's face it. There's a lot of people that stay stuck and that's tragic and that's part of what I'm trying to fight against. The other reason I work specifically with high desire people, why I call it out is because I think that there's this misconception that a lot of people have that, Oh, you know, high desire. What? Like, isn't that normal? Like, why is there anything special about this? And my point of view is you couldn't be more wrong. I actually think that high desire people run a lot of risks of being dissatisfied or not being true to who they are because in actuality, I don't think our societies are that friendly towards high desire people. And I say people here because I think it's hard to be a high desire man. I think it's also hard to be a high desire woman. And That's what I'm just thinking. Yeah. The kind I, of I stigma is a bit different, right? But it's definitely there for both. I think it's probably easier to be a high desire man than to be a high desire woman. What do you think? I so I'll be controversial and that's fine. Okay. Okay. I think I think it's actually pretty equally difficult but for different reasons that there's gender spice sprinkled on top. So okay. Gender spice, I like that. Okay. Yeah, it's like the gender seasoning of the the underlying misery, right? <laughs> that I think for women, the stigma is much more blatant, like much more obvious. So oh, yeah. it's, you know, that's where getting called a, a slut or a harlot or getting shamed for being sexual or in some parts of the world, violently repressed for being sexual. Like, yeah. it's really hard to be a high desire woman, plus then you get the whole message from society, right, that men are always up for sex and men always want it. So if you then find yourself in a relationship as a woman and you're the higher desire partner and your partner is a man, you can get into the thought process of what's wrong with me? Like, why right. doesn't he want me? Right. It can be this whole tangled set of stuff because the world tries to say that, high desire, high libido is abnormal in women. And I can just tell everybody listening that is patently false. At the same time, why I'm saying it is not easy to be a high desire man is because on that side of the spectrum, you get this relentless messaging that sex isn't that important. You know, sex isn't that important. Like all these other things in relationships are more important and you're so shallow or you're so greedy or you're so selfish that there's a whole set of values and um, 
what am I looking for? Like stigmas that come towards men as well. Right. And so what right. you often find are men like thinking of some of the ones that I've worked with who are in these long relationships where they're the higher desire partner and then they move into a dead bedroom situation, which is generally defined as when a couple has sex fewer than six times per year. Right. And it's misery when you're a high desire person. And I think depending on how, how deep inside of the sex negative culture you are, makes it, you know, potentially worse in terms of suffering, right? Like if you're, if you're in a relationship where your partner views like porn usage or masturbation is cheating, right. it, it winds up being a, just a horrible place to be. Uh, but then, right, when men go to talk about this, they sometimes get that pushback like, oh, you're disgusting or you're a creep or how dare you like, you know, sex isn't that important. Doesn't your relationship with your partner matter more? And it's one thing that I actually think can be behind some of some of the hesitance that some men have around uh, engaging in more committed relationships. If they're a higher desire and if they've gotten the experience in life before of then winding up in a relationship where, you know, there's a desire mismatch and then they just get told all of this very scolding and very shaming stuff. And at right. the same time, exactly. too, like they also don't want to hurt their partners. So I, I've seen how this can go down for people of, of various genders, right? And it's not great. It's not great, Nikki, for any, anyone to, to wind true. up in this kind of position. Yeah. Well, and, and I, I don't know the percentage and should have looked it up of people in relationships that have very mismatched sex drives. You know, mm-hmm. one, one wants at least regular sex or more, and the other person wants far less. Hey, speaking of that, did you did you see, and this might have not gotten to Lithuania, but did you see the um, uh, statement by, um, what the heck is his name? Uh, Will Smith. I'm sure you've heard of Will Smith, right? Of course, yeah. Okay. Of his daughter's statement that she just came out as polyamorous, and she said the reason she did that is that she has a lower sex drive and doesn't want as much sex and she felt that wasn't fair to her partner and so she wants to be polyamorous so they have the option of having more frequent sex with somebody else. Mm-hmm. But made sense to me. But I, I thought I, that was interesting. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely an option though I would also make the case that you know, don't worry if you're listening to this and going, oh, my goodness, is my only option to be polyamorous right. or non-monogamous right. because actually I feel myself to be a monogamous person. No, it's not the only mm-hmm. option, but it's worth knowing about the options that are available and how cool it was right. this Willow who said this. Yeah. Yes. That's awesome. So That's how great to very yeah. mature. And it was it was just an interesting thing that I had just seen. I think it was the end of last week I saw it. That's great. Yeah, That's I'm, great to I'm hear. I'm not saying it's necessary. I just thought it was an interesting thing that she came out 
and um, uh, had done that. And like I said, it kind of fits into our conversation. Absolutely. Yeah, because I think what's important to know, and, and I think we're going to go into this in a bit more depth a little bit later, but when it comes to things like non-monogamy, it's always better to to choose these things freely and ideally early on in a relationship where right. where it's motivated by an intrinsic desire for this form of relating rather than as a way to try to fix a relationship that's not working and right. and it's it's such a common mistake when it comes to non-monogamy where you maybe have a monogamous couple and and maybe you have a situation similar to that where one partner has higher desire than the other. And so they're like, oh, come on, come on. Can we open the relationship? And then when anybody is feeling coerced or pushed to do something they don't want to do, and that includes relationship styles, it usually doesn't end well. I'll just say that much anyway. Well, I think it being, being honest with your partner in the beginning mm-hmm. is, is important. I know there's, there's a friend of mine and, um, He's he's been with his wife for t- about 25 years now, and and we were talking about that. And he's he's very high desire. She's now low desire. He says, you know, it's interesting. He says when we were dating, he says we had sex all the time. He says we get married, and I mean it was it was it was so well known that they really had sex that I. We, I, I worked down a strip mall from where she worked. Her her coworkers joked about how they knew she never had sex. That's how well known it was. Okay, mm. she got pregnant. They were stunned. They weren't sure how she got pregnant. That's how well known their sex life was. You know, mm. so so obviously it seems that maybe. Well, I'm not going to speculate, but anyway, you know, but, and, and there, that's not the only couple. I mean, I've heard that kind of thing repeatedly from people, you know, but, you know, that's, that's going to cause issues. And now, now 25 years in, he's like, you know, but obviously it's normal for couples not to have sex once they've been married for a while. And I'm like, I don't know. Normal's the way I would go with that statement. <laughs> you know? I mean, that's the thing, right? If if normal means something that's like statistically common, doesn't necessarily mean it's like normal, inevitable, yeah. right? Like, and and I think oh, that resignation to oh well, it it just is like this. I mean, I think that's tragic in a way. Yeah. And and the thing is, it's so. These kind of relationships, as you point out, they're extraordinarily common. I think if you speak to most sexologists, those that work with couples in any case, and you say, hey, what what are the cases you see most often in your practice? Mismatched desire, right? Uneven desire is probably going to be number one on the list for people who work with couples. Right. I don't think it's natural. I think it's it's common, but it's not natural, you know. But, yeah, Yeah. it's... um, I don't know. Interesting. So where do you think, or do you know, that how does our people struggle in dating, sex, and relationships? Is, is, there, is there kind of a, a pattern that you see? So I think we've talked a little bit about 
where the struggles wind up down the road, right? When you're yeah. 5, 10, 25 years into a relationship where you have a desire mismatch with your partner, perhaps on a fundamental level. And I think that, you know, that is one thing high desire people can struggle with. I mentioned it briefly earlier, this idea that I don't want to get trapped. I don't want to feel trapped. I don't want to feel like my sexuality is a burden in a longer relationship with someone. But I, I think other very practical challenges that come up for high desire people is not knowing what options are available. So we did speak a little bit just now about polyamory, which is only one form of non-monogamy. There are others, as well as casual forms of relationships. So those are things like one night stands and hookups and friends with benefits. For a lot of people where they've just been exposed to the, the standard societal model, right, which is that you go out and you date and then you decide whether you're becoming exclusive and then you date for some period of one to three years, then you do a proposal, then you get married, and then happily ever after, question mark, right? Which, right. you know, when I say that, giving that as an example here, you can kind of go, okay, like Sarah's being a little bit sarcastic, but so many people, that is their view of like, oh, well, isn't that just how it works? And I think the frustration that can come from many high desire people is that, in that standard social model that's presented for relationships, sex isn't given a high priority place, right? In that right. very stereotypical approach, you have like three to five dates maybe before you have sex the first time and you, you know, then follow this very standard script where you're not talking about sex. And those things are part of how you wind up at the end point where somebody's hurting a lot or both people are hurting potentially. I think one of the most important things is to begin as you mean to go on. And I think we'll talk about that in a bit more depth too, but these are, are the main challenges. Like actually, if I had to say they all come back to a single point, it's that, the scripts that people are given for how dating and sex and relationships work are so not optimized for high desire people. It amazes me the people that just seem to assume the other person has the same views about sex that they do. Right? You know, it, and it's like, or... I, I think so much because of our society, we just hesitate to actually have an honest discussion about what we think. Or you start the conversation and kind of take our signals from the other person and just kind of fall in line with whatever they're saying, no matter what we really feel or think. You know, it's like, yeah, just kind of agree with what they're saying. You know, and, and you're not really getting the honest answer, comments from them because they're doing the same thing, you know? I mean, well, here in the U.S. especially. I mean, it's, I've lived in enough places around the world that to, to say that this is pretty common. And while, again, of course, local culture layers on 
different types of challenges. Mm -hmm. The hesitancy to talk openly about sex and, and the whole bundle of vulnerable emotions that go with dating sex and relationships, right? The more you struggle with things like self-esteem or insecurity or valuing yourself as a person, feeling inherently worthy, just part of why dignified hedonism includes dignity, right? Right. That that dignity is so important to being able to experience the kinds of relationships that you want, because otherwise you, so many people do exactly what you just described, Nikki, which is where they defer to the other person or they hide their true desires behind very general and noncommittal statements, right? Right. which then makes it very hard for anybody to get to know somebody who presents to the world like that, right? Right. Definitely does. Now, what what do high-desire people need in order to thrive in their own lives and in any type of a relationship situation? Because I think I think the the bottom line is we want people to be able to be happy, be healthy, and to thrive. Absolutely, and I think for high desire people, there are a couple of really important things that will help you to thrive. And the first is to know that it's absolutely okay to make sex a priority in your relationships that you can make that decision. And especially right now, if you're at the stage where you're single and looking for a partner, then hallelujah, you are in the best possible position to make this decision and say, you know what, going forward, actually sex is going to be something that's a high priority for me. And I'm going to be good about communicating that to my future partners. So, huh? Good. (laughs) Yeah. Well, part of how sex gets swept under the rug or has this weird silence around it is, is again, this myth that, oh, sex isn't that important. Uh, You know what? Speak to your local sexologist and they'll tell you how, how much pain devaluing sex can cause for people, right? But so for high desire people, prioritizing sex in your relationships What's also really important to help high desire people thrive is to really spend time investing in, in your sense of dignity, right? And your sense of worthiness and really building up that strong foundation of self-love and self-valuing because that is part of what's going to carry you through all of this worthiness is how you believe that your desires are important and that what you want to experience is important and that it matters. And I I know that sounds like really simple and basic. And at the same time, it's something so many people struggle with to actually share openly and directly and honestly about their desires with others. And I said it before, I'll say it again the more you share your desires, 
the the more people get a chance to know the real you and <laughs> the much better a shot you have at happiness, right? You know, nobody's a mind reader as much as we'd all like to believe that that's possible. And the way that you find other people who want the same things is, is by speaking about them. Um, and so I guess that's, that's the third thing you really need in order to thrive is to develop the communication skills so that you can clearly and directly communicate what it is that you want to experience and share with others. Interesting. So explain this dignified and worthy thing. Yeah, so to talk a little bit about dignified hedonism. Hedonism is the pursuit of pleasure, right? And I think a lot of people, when they hear somebody say hedonism or that they're a hedonist or people talk about that there's often like this kind of, oh, but that's, you know, not that good a thing, right? That it's somehow, hmm, some of those same adjectives from earlier, Nikki, that it's shallow or selfish or greedy or, you know, re really not that good, which I would say is in part because we live in such a pleasure negative world. But mm. I also think it's because hedonism on its own does leave something to be desired because if you're just pursuing pleasure, but you're not also pausing to make the worthiness of everybody involved central to that pursuit, then you're going to have a bad time. And that's where the dignified part comes from. As dignity comes from dignus in Latin, which means worthy. And this worthiness is, is so, so key. Because dignity, right, it's the right of a person to be valued and respected for their own sake, right? It's not something you have to earn. It's not something you get when you look a certain way or you have a certain amount of money or you have a job that's, you know, at this level, right? It's not something that you need points to get. Like, it is just yours by virtue of the fact that you're alive and a human being. And I think it's so hard for people to connect with that idea of inherent worth sometimes. And I mean, is that really surprising when we've all grown up being graded or being ranked or seeing where we come on the, on the scoreboard uh, in various parts of life? You know, but without this concept of dignity, you're really limited in how far you can go when it comes to pleasure. True. Well, and, and so many people are struggling with self-respect, self-esteem, this kind of thing. You know, so thinking about dignity, too, I mean, you, you've got to have self-esteem self-respect and self-esteem to feel dignified, right? Yeah, it's, it's all connected. And I find, honestly, the easiest way to cultivate a sense of dignity, right, to cultivate a sense of your own worthiness is to date yourself. Ah, okay. How can we, how can we do that? 
So, I mean, the simplest way, right, because this is a whole portion of what I teach and work with my clients on, this concept of dating yourself, but the simplest way to go about it, so just a nugget, just a little bit to get you started with today, is you know how when you've got a hot date coming up, how you get ready in kind of a special way? So you might you know, take a shower and use soap that smells particularly good and spend a little bit of time on your hair and your skin and spend a little bit of time picking out the clothes you're going to wear, clothes that make you look really good, right? Right. So get ready for yourself like that every day, right? It's, okay. That's just one thing that you can do when dating yourself, but it's so powerful, Right? Because there's something that comes from that extra care and treatment that we often give ourselves before we're going on a date that might get sexy later on, that if we just do that on a regular basis, if we do that even daily for ourselves, it's funny how that behavior starts to enforce and create and build a sense of worthiness. You mean people don't do that? naturally no oh my goodness right and i i think it's gotten worse during the pandemic i'm just gonna say it that since we've had less going out going on that for a lot of us you know it's days and days and sweatpants right and you know, not going to lie, I love myself a, a sweatpants and lazy kind of day. Oh, yeah. And at the same time, I feel totally different after I care for myself in these ways. Like another, another top tip, make sure you're drinking enough water every day. Oh, yeah. That sounds, that sounds really like basic. Like, Sarah, like, I thought we're talking about sex. Why are you talking about hydration? Well, if, if things are going to get juicy, right, where do you think that water comes from? Like, it's really important to do these elements of basic care because... Good point. Well, number one, because they contribute to great sexual functioning. Like, if you're undernourished and you're dehydrated and you're underslept, you are not going to have the most pleasurable experience when you're having sex compared to if you're well-rested, well-hydrated and well-nourished. But it's more than just that, because if we get into this habitual pattern of not caring for ourselves, that can be part of what reinforces a sense of insecurity or low self-esteem or low self-respect, because are we behaving towards ourself like someone that's worthy and precious and sexy and you know delightful right or are we behaving towards ourselves as if we are an afterthought in our own life and the number of people i see who do that it's kind of it's heartbreaking and i understand at the same time how it happens right very true I, I am not going to elaborate, but I will just say that I can, I can tell you from a, a past experience or two that hydrating is very, very important. That's all I'm going to say. Okay. Now, um, 
<clears throat> and and one of my listeners is cracking up right now. Okay. Um, <laughs> so what what are the most important things for us to keep in mind um, when when we're dating a high desire person? So I think there's there's kind of two things here. There's what to keep in mind when you're dating a high desire person and what to keep in mind if you're dating as a high desire person because it's it can kind of be two sides of the same coin and I think that's interesting for my high desire people if there's one thing you take away from this episode it's this and that's begin as you mean to go on right start out the way that you would like a relationship to continue so if you want sex to be a topic that you can discuss in your relationships, then very early on, start talking about sex as a topic. Or if sex really is a high priority for you, there's nothing wrong with asking for hookups and friends with benefits, right? That, that can be one way that relationships of various types get started. Or they can also be self-contained relationships that don't go any further, there's a lot of flexibility there. Or another example would be if you're evaluating, you know, you're checking in as to whether somebody is a good fit for a longer term relationship with you, especially if you, uh, especially if you consider yourself to be a monogamous person. So a longer relationship would mean that they would be your exclusive sexual partner. I think it's really great. So a question, right, a question that I love to ask when I see that a relationship might be going for the longer term is, so how frequently do you masturbate? (laughs) And I'll tell you why, Nikki, because so many people get tricked by the limerence phase of a new relationship or the new relationship energy time or the honeymoon period, some people call this. And it's this observed phenomena that early on in relationships, your brain is just so soaked in dopamine, right? You're so into this person. You're thinking about them all the time. You're having sex really frequently when you're meeting with each other. That state is not an indication of where somebody's baseline desire lies. So I found in my own life that asking the question, you know, so how frequently do you masturbate was actually a pretty great indicator of where somebody is just as as a person in their inherent, you know, sexual experience of themselves. You know, is that desire high or is it like a, I don't know, once or twice a week kind of thing? And that would tell me an awful lot. And for me, and I think for very many high desire people, that's a really important point when it comes to compatibility, right? So like I said earlier, like that permission to prioritize sex, you know, that that's another example of it, right? Is checking, do you have compatible levels of baseline desire? So those are just a couple of examples of what I mean when I say begin the way you want to continue onward. Okay. Um, are there... Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I was also going to say, and, and what to do if you're dating a high desire person? Like, okay. <laughs> with that, I would say, number one, like, embrace and celebrate their sexuality. 
And okay. number two, be really honest and direct about your own desires. So I think those two elements are what most high desire people want desperately to receive from partners in the world is not just toleration, right? Not just, oh, okay, if we must, like, right. let's have some sex. No, like, and it's much more like a, is that part of you welcome in this relationship? I think is a question a lot of high desire people grapple with at some points. And, you know, can I be my whole self with this person? I think is what not only high desire people, but every human being is looking for is can I be here in relationship with others as my whole self? Or do I have to hide parts of who I am? And hiding parts of who you are is painful. Can can I just be me? Yes. Can I just be me? Yes. All right. Now, I think I think for obvious reasons, a lot of high desire people are attracted to the idea of just casual sex, hookups, this kind of thing when they're dating. But they don't know where to begin, or they might be kind of put off by the stigma. And, you know, the, and, and may feel ashamed of doing that kind of thing by like family, society, friends, that kind of thing. Um, why does casual sex have such a bad rep? Oh, that's one of those. <laughs> that's, how long have you got? But, yeah. I mean, in, that, in part, you, myself, so. <laughs> you, you address part of it yourself, which is that that message can come from family, friends, society, this general stigma around sexuality and pleasure. And I think part of where casual sex gets a bad reputation is that a lot of people are not being very dignified in their casual relationships. So any of these articles about, oh, the, the horror of hookup culture, if you go and read the article, like it's a lot of people behaving badly, often under the influence of alcohol or other drugs, often not doing a great job of consent practice if they're doing any at all. And often it's centered, like these articles are very often written about uh, what happens on college campuses in the United States in particular. And, and I just want to be here to say like, that is not what hookups have to be like, you know, they don't need to be under the influence. They don't need to be coercive or pressurized they don't need to be. And that's the other thing, too, is there's been all of this research that's come out about the orgasm gap. I'm sure you've read some of that, right? Oh, yeah. So basically what it found is that heterosexual women were what experiencing orgasm around 65 percent of the time with their male partners, whereas for heterosexual men, it was something like 95 percent of the time they'd be experiencing an orgasm. So for a lot of people, a lot of women in particular, like the question of like, why bother hooking up if I'm not going to experience very much pleasure is a very real question. And part of how it's possible to experience pleasure in more casual relationships, you've got to have your communication skills on point. Like it's just not going to happen if you can't talk about it. When it's somebody, especially if you're only ever going to see them once, 
the only way that's going to work out as mutually pleasurable and wonderful for everybody involved is if if you can talk about it. Well, and and if you're 100% de- depending on that person to quote unquote give you an orgasm. Oh yeah, so there's tons more depth here that we can go into about how to have a pleasurable hookup. Like my top tip, if you are a woman listening to this uh, this podcast and you're thinking, yeah, I'd, I'd be interested more in hookups if I knew I was going to have pleasure, bring a vibrator with you to hookups. Like for <laughs> real, like plan to make sure your your pleasure is going to be expressed in this encounter. And there's, there's more to it than that, right? Is, is in no, terms minute, of like, whoa, whoa. hold on, hold on, hold on. All right. All right, all right. Be a woman and plan for a hookup. Oh, Sarah, did you really just say that? What I'm, is I'm that wild? Oh my goodness. <laughs> Woo. I, I'm just kidding. Go ahead. Well, you know, like that right there is kind of where I was going in terms of it's really helpful if you, so let's say you're chatting with somebody on an online dating app. I find that once you get that feeling like, okay, like I'm enjoying this conversation. I feel good chatting with this person. We've got a sense of rapport. If what you're interested in is hooking up or becoming friends with benefits, which is a slightly different relationship type a lot of the time is to like ask about it and so just saying you know something like you know hey I've got an interesting idea can I share it and then if they say yes saying something along the lines of you're really interesting to me uh, would you be interested in meeting up and potentially hooking up and then having some kind of process that you follow so it might be that you agree to meet up for, say, 30 to 45 minutes in a public place like a coffee shop to see, okay, like what kind of vibe are you getting from this person and where anybody can mutually leave, you know, if you're not feeling it. Like all of these kind of things, talking about these details ahead of time, it's that level of directness, Nikki, that I'm talking about and that level of willingness to be vulnerable and speaking up for your desires. So that's the challenge, right? That's part of why I think it's difficult for people to have awesome hookups until they build these skills. Exactly. You know, I think at some point we should do a show about successful hookups. Or, or Oh, that would be so much fun, and I am totally on board with that. Ah, I thought you might be. I thought you might be. All right. So... Do hookups ever turn into longer relationships? Yeah, they can. I would say if you, it's best not to go into a hookup hoping to turn it into a long relationship because then then you're kind of being dishonest with the person. Oh, yeah. Well, you're putting way too much pressure on yourself, too. Correct. I mean, that's, that's not really the purpose of a hookup. And what I would say is if you have a general openness to your desire and you notice your desire is changing, so you notice you'd like to see somebody again, so maybe you agreed to hook up, the sex is fantastic, you totally want to meet them again, speak up and ask for it. 
They can say no. And in fact, I encourage my clients and anybody listening to always leave ample space for someone to say no, because that's part of how you create this compassionate container to, to have a lot of fun in. Right. And there that requires, again, an exercise in remaining connected to yourself and what it is that you want, as well as having the courage to speak up as soon as you notice that it's changing, as well as the vulnerability to share what you actually want with the person that you're with. So to give an example of a hookup that turned into something else, uh, my husband is somebody that I hooked up with. And, (laughs) And it was a lot of being brave, I would say, that led to that point. And a lot of just being really into each other at the beginning. And then also a willingness to speak up and say, hey, you know, I'd actually like this to be a relationship. Is that something you want too? And being prepared for no to be an answer, right? Mm, Like, it's scary, Nikki, it's hard. And at the same time, that willingness to take risks and become vulnerable is a pathway to realizing and getting to experience the things you desire and long for in a very real way. Right. Yep. I've done that from time to time and and some have turned into relationships. Some, some have not, you know, so yeah, totally understand. So where, where can a high desire person um, meet high desire partners? So number one place I recommend online dating, (laughs) but that's in part because I think that dating online or using dating apps or dating websites, it's such a powerful context because you know everybody who is there is also looking to meet people for dating or for sex. And so it, it's a lot quicker and more efficient than meeting people in bars, for example where you don't know, like you see a person and you have no idea what they may or may not be looking for. And to that extent, I think where high desire people can help themselves out is to just try and choose the, the context that matches with your desires. So if in general you're looking to hook up or to find friends with benefits or even to find other high desire people, I, I still tend to recommend OkCupid as a great app, even though many people will say it's not quite as great as it used to be. It's still pretty good. Uh, Bumble is also wonderful for high desire people looking to connect with others. Like Tinder's there and exists. It's challenging though, because it's kind of, you know, if you walk into a room and everybody's there, it means everybody's there, right? It's, it's a right. very big crowd. So I'd say save Tinder once you've got a really clear idea of what you want and who you are, because otherwise it can get really overwhelming the volume of people that you interact with who are not a fit for you compared to mm-hmm. other platforms with more opportunities to filter. 
And I would say if you're high desire and you've got some desires that are outside of the box, that there are communities that you can connect with. Though I think it's a very bad idea to join communities that are built around uh, topics of interest related to sexuality if the only reason you're doing so is to find partners. N not least of all because people in these groups can just sense that from a mile away. If someone's just there creeping for partners, it's not a good look. Don't do that. But if you are coming from a place of genuine curiosity, like going to sexuality meetups or to munches, which are meetups for people who are into BDSM kink and fetish, um, these are some wonderful places to also meet people who tend to be sex positive, who tend to understand and get the idea of sex being a priority in people's lives. And also, they are people who really recognize the value of communication when it comes to sexuality. And you can really learn a lot being in these spaces in terms of how to be a better lover yourself. So those are just a couple of, of places where you can go. But high desire people are everywhere, Nikki. It's just, do they feel safe enough to share with you that they're high desire too? That's, that's part of the trick. Very true. All right. Well, I tell you what, we are out of time for the show. Mm -hmm. And I want to let the listeners know that um, Sarah has actually decided to extend the deadline to get her hedonist guide to flirting archetypes for temporarily. I, I convinced her to extend that for you all. So, so if you didn't get that after the last show, you've got one more chance, but you better get on it because she's not going to extend this again. So on the show page, I'm going to have the link for you to go. So do that now. Do that now because you're not going to get another chance. If you don't do it now, you're going to have to pay for it. Um, so go to the show page. It's um, lovecoachjourney.com slash high desire and you'll be able to get a free copy and download it hedonist guide to flirting archetypes lots of neat tips in there so even if you think you're the world's best flirt i'm telling you <laughs> there's cool stuff in here and you can never be too good a flirt you can never be too old to flirt and even if you're married you should still flirt so go get absolutely. it absolutely yes 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 so, Sarah, we, we have found another reason for you to come back. So. I know, right? And talk all about hookups. And it's great because, you know what, Nikki? I'm cooking up a course about hookups right now, too. So it is totally oh, on my mind. See there? I knew it. I knew it. I knew you'd have something else. And, and, and still, still, loving, still loving the idea of orgasmic running. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. I haven't gotten my copy in the email yet. Just, just saying. <laughs> yep, noted. Um, okay, duly noted. Good job. Okay. All right. And and so she's she's coming back again. I'm not sure when, but we'll work that out. And thank you for being here. And listeners, thank you all for being with us. And listeners, I'll be with you next time on Ready for Love Radio.